TBC family and friends. Good morning to you. Also, good morning to those that are engaged with us online. If you have your scriptures, however you turn into God's Word, let's grab those and turn together to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be primarily in just two verses this morning, verse 9 and 10. And if you have the Version app that you use, you'll see a lot of verses that we have this morning to walk through. And so just be ready. If you don't have a Bible, maybe left in the car, we have some by the back doors. Feel free to grab one. But we are going to look at quite a bit of a scripture, so I do want to encourage you to, to follow, follow along. But before we do that, I would like to have a time of prayer, because right now we have over 70 fifth and sixth graders that are on their way back from their mid-high retreat. Yes, they have been there since Friday and having a fantastic time. Yes, even swimming, which seems crazy to me, but and it, they're swimming and, and we have some fantastic servant leaders with them. And so I'm super thankful for the volunteers who said yes to go along there and, and pour into these young men and these young women. So let us, as they're making their way back, I thought it would be appropriate for us to take a minute to pray specifically for them, and then also for us as we prepare to dive into God's Word. So join me in prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you give us times to retreat and be refreshed. And so we thank you that you have allowed our fifth and sixth graders this moment to unplug and get away with friends and godly men and women to pour into their lives. And so We're just asking you to continue the good work that you've started in their hearts this weekend. We're praying that your spirit would help them to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And as they begin to travel, we pray that you would give them traveling mercies on the way home as they return, as you did when they left. So praise you for what you have done and you will do. And now, Father, we pray for our time. I pray that you would help me to decrease and that you would increase. And I pray for each and every person in this room, including myself. God, would you please open our hearts to receive your word so that we can be transformed into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his great name we all sit together, amen. I don't know if you've realized this or you've noticed this, but culture is attempting to shape us in a variety of ways. And it probably won't take you long if you start paying attention. Culture wants to define us. It's attempting to shape us mentally and shape us socially and and physically. And, And I guess because I have a birthday coming up, somehow my phone and some companies, they maybe recognize that. And so I'm starting to see these ads that are talking about the kind of shape I should be in at this certain age that I'm about to enter. And I'm seeing those, and I I should have known, because when it's a sketch of what you should look like, a drawing of a man and not an actual picture of a man, that's probably a good idea to to pay attention to that, because it's probably no one can look like that. And and so I'm starting to see this, and I'm, I'm going, this is culture, it's attempt to try to speak into my life to try to shape me. But as people of faith, we believe that God's word is the authority to define the shape of the Christian. Amen? 
And so we want to dive into Romans chapter 12 and look at this radical shape that God wants to put us in. An outrageous shape, if you will, that he wants to mold us into and to shape us. And so Pastor Sherman, I've called this radical because God wants to shape us in a very unique way from the world. And we're going to see this shaping that God wants to do in us in Romans chapter 12 in these two verses. Verse 9, love must be free of hypocrisy. Detest what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Now we want to put out here a a memorization challenge. We've done this before when we were in the book of Joshua, and we want to do it now. And so here's what Pastor Sherman and I are doing. We want to challenge you to join us, and that's memorize certain scriptures each week throughout the series. And so we want to challenge you this week to memorize verses 9 and 10. And to help you, here's what we're going to invite you to do. We want to invite you to text RADICAL to the church phone number. So whether you're in the room or outside the room, we want to ask you to join us in memorizing Scripture as it talks about in the Old Testament in Psalms of hiding God's Word, treasuring God's Word in our hearts. Are you up for the challenge? Man, we... we are you up for this challenge? Yes, thank you. So much better. Now, so go ahead and take your phone out and do it right now. And students, if you're with us, come on, jump in there with Pastor Sherman and I, and let's hide, let's treasure God's word in our heart. Now, when I read these two verses, man, I, sounds good. Love that is without hypocrisy, hating evil, devoted to each other, showing, I mean, this sounds Really, really good. But what does it look like? What does this actually look like? What does it look like to put feet to our love? The kind of love that it's talking about. Well, it looks like Onesiphorus. Maybe you don't know him, but he's mentioned a couple of times in the New Testament. And he is the real deal When other Christians were abandoning and deserting the Apostle Paul, he was there because he was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we read this in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. You are aware, the Apostle Paul is writing here, of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, interesting names there. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. That's what love looks like with feet on. It looks like Onesiphorus. It also looks like a lady named Lydia, the affectionate one. I love her story because in Acts it says that God opened her heart to receive his word. And in response, she opened up her home and it became a church. And she welcomed all kinds of people from a slave girl to a, to a jailer into her home. We read about this in Acts 16 verse 40. It says, they, Paul and Silas, left prison 
and entered the house of Lydia. What a congregation. I mean, you have a slave girl in there. Now you've got a couple of guys that escaped prison. That must have been an exciting church. And when they saw the brothers and sisters, they encouraged them and they departed. This is what love looks like. It looks like Lydia. It also looks like Epaphroditus, the humble one. The humble one. He put others before himself and he risked his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We read about this in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, receive Epaphroditus, then in the Lord with all joy and hold people in like him in high regard. Hold them in honor. Why? Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to compensate for your absence in your service to me. This is what love looks like. This is what it looks like to put feet to love it looks like Onesiphorus, it looks like Lydia, it looks like Epaphroditus. And so a question I have for us is how do we achieve to be this kind of people? How do we hear these marching orders of a love that's without hypocrisy, a, a love that hates evil but clings to good, a love that has this brotherly affection and a love that holds others in high regard. How do we accept these marching orders and make them a part of our very lives? That's what I want to help us do. That's what I want to do. And so let's take these verses and kind of just unpack them just a little bit. And so, again, I want to encourage you to follow along with me, but let's go back to verse 9. It says, love must be free of hypocrisy. Love must be free of hypocrisy. Now, a good Bible student, when you're diving into God's word, context matters. And in this case, it matters. Because Paul, when he wrote this letter, he was writing to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome was made primarily of Gentile Christians. Not Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians. So here's a little history lesson for us all as we understand this letter and the context of it. Most of these Christians came from a Greco-Roman worldview. Now, I don't have time to explain all of this worldview, but I can tell you the, the Greco-Roman worldview involved power and the emperor set at the top. And the Roman Empire is one of the greatest empires that's ever been on this planet. At this time, it ruled most of the known world. And the emperor was on the top. And there was a structure that everybody followed when it came to orders and honor. But in this structure at the very bottom were slaves. And one out of every fifth person in the Roman Empire was a slave. And this, mean, this meant brutality and cruelty. But this was the, the power structure of the first century, the Greco-Roman world. But with power, there was also syncretism. You see, there was emperor worship, and he didn't care as long as you worshipped him, you could worship any other god you wanted. And so there were a variety of gods that the Romans worshipped. But they kind of got fed up with all the Roman gods, and so they all started these mystery religions as well. Because there was this spiritual hunger that was not being met by worshipping the emperor, worshipping Roman gods, and worshipping these mystery religions 
And so there was this melting pot of spirituality. There was this power structure that everybody kind of had to operate in. That's the worldview that these Gentile Christians were raised in. And now they give their life to Jesus And they are giving these new marching orders, these radical marching orders that's going to turn their life and their world upside down. And the first one, it says, let your love be free of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Let your love have no hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy means actor or pretender. That's where we get those words from is hypocrisy. Because if you were an actor in the first century or prior, you were called a hypocrite. You see, because plays had few actors, but they had to play all of the roles. So in one scene, you would put on one mask to maybe play the villain, and you might take that mask off, and then you might come back on the stage and be the good guy. But you were constantly changing mask depending on the part you were playing. You were called a hypocrite. And this is where we get the idea today. You're playing part that's maybe not at your core. This happens nowadays with social media, right? We've all done it. You know, we've gotten the setting just right, or we've gotten our Bible and our coffee mug out, and we've taken a picture. You know, we, we've set the stage to portray something, right? You know, and you've got the family photo, and it's everybody's arguing, and it's like, all right, everybody straighten up, smile, and you take the shot that you can post and share. We, this happens. We all are guilty of. We're pretenders. We're actors, And Paul says to these early Christians, don't be a pretender. In your love, don't be an actor. Don't be a pretender. Jesus, some of his harshest words were for those who were hypocrites. And I want to share a couple of these examples with you. First, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus is talking to religious leaders And he calls them hypocrites. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, a hypocrite gives lip service, but no heart service. Lip praise, but no heart praise. Jesus, later on in Matthew, says this in chapter 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He's calling them actors, pretenders. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Have you ever gone to the dishwasher and opened up the dishwasher and grabbed the bowl thinking it's clean because on the outside it looks okay, and then you look inside and there's still residue from whatever it was that was in there? This is what Jesus is saying. On the outside, you look really, really good. On the outside, you look shiny. But on the inside, you're filthy. And Jesus says, through Paul, let your love be without hypocrisy. 
Don't be a pretender. Don't be an actor. And this is one of the things I appreciate about Trinity Bible Church is we so want to be authentic people. We hear it when people give testimony before they get baptized. We do an exercise with our staff where we call it going below the line, kind of going below the surface, where we ask certain questions that, that cause us to really share about what's going in our heart. Because we want to be an authentic, transparent staff with one another. And it's amazing what God does when we quit pretending and we're honest with what's going on inside of our lives. Because we start realizing, oh, you struggle with that too. Well, I do too. Well, how can we partner up and how can we grow through this together? But if we're all just pretty on the outside and filthy on the inside, we don't, we don't deal with what's happening. And so this is why Paul's saying, let, let your love be free of hypocrisy. And so genuinely, with sincerity, listen to others when they're sharing with you. Give them your ear. Take time to go below the line with your spouse or a good friend and tell them kind of what you're feeling or what's going on. This is genuine, authentic love. And it was radical for the first century church because they were in a system where they had to play a part and pretend and play a role. And Paul says, here's your marching order. Love without hypocrisy. But then he goes on, and the second one is to detest what is evil, cling to what is good. Detest what is evil. The word there is actually hate. So not avoid, but hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And this is super important for us all to see, especially our teenagers, is that there is an evil and there is a good that already exists. You and I do not get to define evil or good. It's already been established. And we live in a culture today, as in the first century, where we want to call evil good and good evil. In the first century church, when they were living in their time, as a Roman, you could have... You could be married, and it was important to be married. Marriage was important. But you also could have a lady on the side, and that was acceptable. That was the norm for a man to be married to one woman, but then have other women on the side. That is calling evil good. And we live in a culture today that wants to redefine evil as good. And so parents and grandparents, we must teach our teenagers and our children that there is an evil and a good that already exists. And we must cling to what is good and hate what is evil. That's another marching order. And then he continues, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Again, he's giving us these marching orders of what love looks like. And he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Like Lydia, whose heart was open and she opened up her home to receive all kinds of people. You see, in the first century, if you did not have a home, a home was the basic unit of society. If you didn't have a home, then you had no security you had no identity, and you were just an outcast. And what does the Apostle Paul says? He says to Christians, welcome all peoples 
into your congregations with brotherly love. That is affection. Have a heart for people. Have compassion for people. Have compassion for the slave. Have compassion for the outcast. Welcome them into your home. Have affection for them. And this was radical. This was unheard of. But this is what God is calling the church to. This is far-reaching. You see, in a lot of these mystery religions, to be a part of that community, you had to have a certain status. But with the church, it was all are welcome. Come as you are, slave or free, Greek or Jew, male or female. Come into my home where you will receive brotherly affection. This was radical. Radical. And then this last one. I love this one. Give preference to one another in honor. Again, in the first century, honor was reserved for the head of the household. A household could include a a, a father, a husband, and a wife, and maybe the slaves that worked in your home, your children, maybe some relatives. But honor was reserved for the head of household. But now the church comes along and it says, give honor to one another. Give honor to one another. I so appreciate the English standard version of this verse. It says to outdo one another in giving honor. Outdo one another. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I remember working with another pastor and he was always up to outdo us in showing honor. And so when we had to be at the church for a meeting or for services, he would park as far away as he could. And if we tried to park farther than him, you know what he would do? He would park farther. That's outdoing one another in honor, in respect. In my neighborhood, I jog around our neighborhood and there's a lady that on Fridays, she has this white bucket that has on Friday mornings, it usually has three or four things of Gatorade. And as I run, I'm tempted to grab one, but I know they're not for me. They're for the men who come around on the trash truck, on the garbage truck to pick up her trash can. That's outdoing one another in honor. So here's a challenge for all of us. Teenagers, if you have a sibling, outdo your sister, outdo your brother in showing honor this week. Husbands, outdo your your wife in showing honor. Find a coworker and just commit to, I'm going to outdo her when it comes to giving honor. Imagine what it would be like If we as a congregation, we made a commitment to outdoing one another when it came to showing honor. This was the marching order for the first century church. Because they understood everyone was made in the image of God. And in Christ Jesus, there is no social structure that determines who gets honor. Everyone gets honor. From the owner to the slave, to the husband, to the child, give preference to one another in honor. So these are the marching orders. 
that Paul begins to lay out that are a radical way of living. And as I've been thinking about this, I'm, I'm asking myself, again, how? How, how, does this, how do we do this? And I think there's two things that are extremely important for us. The first one, if you notice the two words, one another. That's because these marching orders, they involve one another. And that's why living out these marching orders in this room, in this space, is probably not going to happen. But it can happen in other spaces that we provide. Adult Bible studies, connection groups, men's and women's groups, these smaller settings that allow us to live out these one another's, that allow us to outdo one another in honor, that allow us to show brotherly affection for one another. And so a question I have for all of us is, are you in one of those spaces? Are you putting yourself in a space that gives you the opportunity to live out these marching orders? And if not, I would love to help you find that space. This space is important and necessary but in a setting this size, it's a challenge to practice these. So get in a space where you can live these marching orders out. And the last thing is this. I want you to go back to the beginning of this chapter. And it says this. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Did you know God is rich in mercy? Did you know that? Think about that. God is rich in mercy. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. That our God is rich when it comes to mercy. And so I want to fill up your mercy tank in these last few minutes we have together. And when I, I want to do that by looking at where we see glimpses of God's mercy in Romans. For example, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. So mercy is God pouring his love into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's God's mercy to you. He's giving you his love. You know why? Because you and I don't have the love capacity to love the way he requires. And so for us to love the way he requires, requires God to give us his love through the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you can love your neighbor or that hard coworker is because the love of God is in you through the Holy Spirit. That's God's mercy. Also, Later on in chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is God's mercy. That while you were messed up and broken and full of sin, he, Christ Jesus, died for you. That's God's mercy for us. In chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You and I, because we are in Christ Jesus, we get eternal life. That is God's mercy being poured down and over us. And I can go on and look at 
Romans 8, verse 28, and it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. So for those of us who are a part of God's family, he promises that ultimately he will work out his perfect plan for our lives. It's not up to fate. It's up to God's purposes for us. That's God's mercy on your life. And lastly is Romans 15, 7, Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us. You and I can accept one another because we realize Jesus has accepted us. This is God's mercy to us. And Romans 12 says, in view of God's mercies and through God's mercies and by God's mercies, not your own willpower, but by the mercies of God, let your love be without hypocrisy. By God's mercies and through God's mercies, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. By God's mercy in your life and through the mercy that God gives you, be devoted to one another with brotherly love and affection. Because of God's mercies in your life, extend that mercy by outdoing one another because he has given us mercy. And so Paul says, with these marching orders, you live these out, you walk in these by the mercies of God in your life. And so may we soak up God's mercies so that God's word shapes us so that we can shape the world. Let's pray. Our heavenly father, thank you Thank you for these few moments we've had to dive into your scriptures, to walk through these scriptures verse by verse. What a privilege and an honor it is. May we never lose sight of that. And so now as we respond in song, God, I'm asking your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our lives this morning. As we've preached the word, as we begin to sing the word, may your spirit do a work in each and every heart this morning, especially the one who is far from you. And Father, for the one who who feels like they can't walk out in these marching orders, may your spirit encourage them by the mercies of God. As your people, may we be in awe of the mercy that we have received and then extend that mercy to others. We pray this in the great, powerful, mighty name of King Jesus. Amen.